0: Friends, the Gospels present Jesus as a social person, a popular dinner guest who enjoyed a party. In fact, he most frequently envisioned the afterlife as a joy-filled banquet. A central ingredient in the worship life of Christians worldwide is the celebration of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, also called Holy Communion, and the Eucharist. What is less clear to some Christians is the meaning of that sacred meal. And so today I hope to set the Lord's Supper in context to clarify its meaning and speak about how it should be celebrated and who should be invited to participate. I've chosen to focus on Luke's account of the Lord's Supper since it's the longest among the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and because it has many parallels with Paul's version of Jesus' Eucharistic words, in his first letter to the church at Corinth, chapter 11. Now, the first thing I want you to notice is that Luke clearly refers to the Lord's Supper as a Passover Seder, a Passover meal. It was the once-a-year celebration of God passing over the houses of the Hebrews while killing the firstborn among the Egyptians, and the subsequent escape from state slavery in Egypt of the Hebrew people culminating with a miracle at the Reed Sea. As a way of remembering that saving event, God commanded the Israelites to make this an annual celebration. The nature of this meal, which focused on God's redemptive act in the Exodus, was also unique because all of the foods consumed symbolized parts of the Exodus story. According to the biblical account, the main course was the passover lamb whose blood was initially wiped across the lintels and doorposts of the homes of the Israelites to distinguish them from the homes of their Egyptian oppressors bitter herbs were also consumed to remind the people of the bitterness the hardship of their bondage in Egypt as state slaves unleavened bread was eaten because they had no time to wait for leavened bread to rise but needed to be ready to depart with quote loins girded, sandals on their feet, staff in their hand, and you shall eat the meal hurriedly is what the book of Exodus uh, directs. And finally, four cups of wine were consumed, each of which had a specific meaning related to the Exodus story. In the modern Passover meal, more symbolic foods have been added, including a hard boiled egg, two additional bitter herbs, and a mixture of chopped apples or figs, nuts, raisins, cinnamon, and wine called charoseth to represent the mortar or red clay of Egypt. The father of each household led in a standardized liturgy which retold the whole Exodus story, relating each element of the meal to some phase of the story. In short, Each and every mouthful of food and wine consumed during the Passover meal symbolized some detail in that vivid retelling of the Exodus event. And although that first Passover was celebrated with haste, subsequent Passovers like those experienced by Jesus were joy-filled celebrations of God's saving act and their freedom from bondage during which guests leisurely reclined on couches and Ate and drank. Well with that introduction let's hear Luke's account of that first Lord's Supper from chapter 22 verses 14 to 20 of Luke's Gospel as Linda Maloney reads for us.
1: Our reading is from Luke chapter 22 verses 14 through 20. When the hour came he took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and after giving thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with a cup after supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Thanks be to God.
0: According to Luke, in the midst of the meal, Jesus interrupted the normal Passover liturgy and inserted new words, his words, over the unleavened bread and over what was likely the third cup of wine. In so doing, Jesus interpreted the meaning of his approaching death for his dearest friends. According to Jesus' Eucharistic words, the Lord's Supper has two essential themes. One is looking back and remembering the saving death, the redeeming death of Christ Jesus, as sacrificial in nature, that he died for us on our behalf as our sin bearer. Luke records Jesus' words when distributing the bread, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus wants us to remember that as a sacrificial victim, He is giving his body, his life for us on our behalf. He's asking us to remember his redeeming death offered for us, giving thanks for his sacrifice. In fact, the word Eucharist, term for the Lord's Supper, is from the Greek verb to give thanks, Eucharisteo. Jesus' word over the cup also employs sacrificial language. Jesus said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus is alluding to Isaiah chapter 53, where the suffering servant of the Lord is described as, quote, having poured out himself to death, bearing the sin of many. Jesus' language of the new covenant in his blood reminds the people of the Exodus account in chapter 24, where God ratified the covenant with Moses and the Israelites at Mount Sinai, with the blood of the covenant from sacrifices they offered God. Jesus is saying that by his death, He is initiating, he's ratifying a new covenant relationship between God and God's people. And the phrase new covenant reminds his disciples of Jeremiah chapter 31, where God promised to enter into a new covenant relationship with the Hebrew people, writing his law on their hearts rather than on stone tablets as before. God also promised they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. So this new covenant would be more radically grace-based than the earlier covenant at Mount Sinai, though it was not without an element of grace either. Now our Roman Catholic and Anglican friends understand Jesus' words, this is my body, in a very literal way as constituting a great miracle changing the substance of the bread and the cup into the real body and blood of jesus by contrast it is our view as reformed christians that in the context of the passover remember which is simply honoring this principle of biblical interpretation that context is king context is determinative of, of the meaning of the passage that in the context of the passover like the rest of this entire meal the unleavened bread And the wine used by Jesus had a representative or a symbolic meaning used to interpret his approaching death. Jesus was physically present, after all, with the disciples at the meal. They could see that the bread and Jesus' body were two separate realities. Therefore, when Jesus said, this is my body, he obviously meant this represents my body. Now, friends, in today's Roman Catholic Mass, the prayer of consecration is the moment in their liturgy when they believe the bread and wine are transformed into the body and blood of Christ. However, when you read the New Testament accounts of the Lord's Supper, four of them, no prayer of consecration is recorded. Instead, Jesus offers a simple prayer of thanksgiving for the food. So first, the Lord's Supper looks back on Christ's redeeming death as sacrificial in nature. That's very important. As an offering given for us on our behalf. Second, the Lord's Supper also looks forward in hope, anticipating both our resurrection and our participation in the great feast at the end of time. When, along with all believers from all times who will sit at table with the risen and ascended Christ in the presence of Almighty God. In Luke's account, Jesus says, I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Matthew's version makes Jesus saying even more personal. I tell you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day, when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So secondly, in addition to describing his death as a sacrifice, Jesus presents the Lord's Supper as a foretaste of that future heavenly banquet at which he again would be the host. Friends, don't you like parties? Don't you enjoy being part of great celebrations like weddings, graduations, anniversary parties, and the like. If so, you don't want to miss the greatest party of all time toward which each and every Lord's Supper points. Two final questions about the Lord's Supper. The first is, in what mood should we celebrate the Lord's Supper? Now, most Christians today make it a somber meal, almost a Good Friday remembrance. Others suggest that basic attitude should be joyful as we focus more on Christ's resurrection triumph than on his suffering and death, which is correct. Well, since the bread and cup in the Lord's Supper represent Christ Jesus who suffered and offered himself for us sacrificially on the cross, we do, must approach that sacred meal with deep reverence and respect. To do otherwise would demean his self-sacrifice on our behalf. Now, I think today in our Reformed tradition, we have no trouble at all with that more sober emphasis. However, what I personally find most lacking in most of our celebrations of the Lord's Supper is the note of joy, which I see characterizes the descriptions of the Lord's Supper in the early church, both recorded in the Acts of the Apostles and Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. Because Jesus' resurrection was discovered, on Easter Sunday. In time, Christians gathered for weekly worship on Sunday rather than on Saturday, the Sabbath. They shifted their their central worship day. In other words, for these early Christians, each Sunday became a little Easter. 20th century theologian Carl Barth wrote, the Lord's Supper ought to be more firmly regarded from the Easter standpoint. It is not primarily a mourning or funeral meal, but the anticipation of the marriage feast of the Lamb. It is a joyous meal. British New Testament scholar I.H. Marshall writes, The Lord's Supper was an occasion for rejoicing in Jesus' presence and giving thanks for the benefits procured by his death. The joy of salvation experienced and hope of its heavenly consummation were dominant. While we can never fail to appreciate the meaning of Jesus' costly sacrificial death for us on the cross, the Gospel, friends, is a joyous announcement of Jesus' triumph over sin and death and his resurrection and his future return to consummate God's reign as King. And in the present moment, the Lord's Supper is our way of enjoying fellowship in in this moment with the risen Lord and one another. So the Lord's Supper may have either a somber or a celebratory tone. On balance, I personally think we need greater emphasis most of the time on the Lord's Supper as a joy-filled celebration of Jesus' resurrection and our anticipation of the messianic banquet in God's kingdom than has generally been the case. My final question is who should be invited to partake in our celebrations of the Lord's supper some people misunderstand and don't think they are good enough ethically and spiritually to partake of the Lord's supper in this regard some have misinterpreted Paul's warning to the church in Corinth chapter 11 verse 27 about quote those who eat the bread or drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner as if Paul was referring to people who were unworthy participants who weren't good enough Christians. Again, context is king. That's not Paul's point in that letter. He's talking about the manner in which people participate in the Lord's Supper, not their character. Friends, we are all sinners in need of a Redeemer. Remember Jesus' amusing parable in Luke chapter 18 about the tax collector a social and religious outcast, and an arrogant Pharisee who thought he was righteous and had no need of God's grace, who go up to the temple to pray. Jesus says it was the sin-filled but humble and repentant tax collector, again a social and religious outcast, not the prideful Pharisee who returned home in right relationship with God. It is only those who think they have no need of a Savior who are forbidden from participating in the Lord's Supper. It is precisely those who admit we are sinners, dependent on God's grace in Christ, who are most welcome. In fact, our Presbyterian Directory for Worship teaches, the opportunity to eat and drink with Christ is not a right bestowed upon the worthy, but a privilege given to the undeserving who come in faith, repentance, and love. The church teaches the single requirement to partake of the spiritual food in the Lord's Supper is personal faith in Christ Jesus. It's not a matter of church membership or even of baptism, though they are important. It is whether we trust in Christ and desire to be his followers. Friends, Jesus, our Savior, invites all who trust him today to this feast which he has provided. Amen.